Welcome to the latest episode of Schneps Connects. I'm uh, thrilled to have with me today, Alan J. Murray, who is chairman, president, and CEO of Empire Blue Cross Blue Shield, which is an Anthem company. Alan is chairman of one of the largest healthcare providers in New York, where he's on a mission to materially and measurably improve the health of all New Yorkers. He's a force in the healthcare industry, and his leadership, deep industry expertise, and determination to power the system with game-changing innovation benefits that will come to consumers, customers, and provider partners across the state of New York. Prior to joining Empire, Allen developed his entrepreneurial spirit as founding president and CEO of Northwell's CareConnect Insurance Company, which was the first provider-owned commercial insurance plan in New York State. Alan earned a Bachelor of Science degree from Open University in the United Kingdom and served as second officer in the British Merchant Navy for six years. Alan, it's great to have you with me today. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, it's a real pleasure to be with you. And, uh, you know, based on that description, it sounds like a guy I'd love to meet one day. Totally. No, listen, <laughs> what you accomplished, it's a great thing. And, you know, it, I love talking to presidents and CEOs, especially of companies that touch so many people, um, such as yours. So give us a little sense of your role and, and, and that of Empire Blue Cross Blue Shield. Yeah, you know, we, uh, well, let's start with Empire. Empire has been in New York, really, for over 85 years. So we're really, I think, part of the fabric of the New York healthcare system. And I think like the American healthcare system in general, you know, Empire has grown with the industry and with healthcare, um, you know, all the way through Medicare and Medicaid to in New York, some deregulation in the 1990s, you know, turning for profit in the early 2000s and then becoming part of the Anthem infrastructure shortly thereafter. So, you know, this company has been through a hell of a journey, really, when you think of it. And actually, I started my journey in New York with Empire Black in 2002. I literally, as you can tell from my, my bio, I was off the boat. I happened to become the souvenir of a young college student from America who was over in the UK, and uh, here I am. And I started as a project associate at the end of 2002, and in 2018 came back to be the president and CEO of that company. So my journey has been, you know, quite the quite the episode, just like Empire's has. But at the end of the day, we are here like our mission to measurably and materially improve the lives of all New Yorkers. And for me, from both a personal mission and I think from leading this incredible company, that's what we do. Every single decision we make, every product we think about, every interaction with providers or members or government officials, at the end of the day, that is our North Star. That's what guides us is, are we actually making a difference in the health of New Yorkers? I love it. You know, we were talking before we started about our, our mutual red hair. I mean, what I have left of mine, but your red hair. Um, and I have to say, you know, in, in starting to talk uh, to you, uh, you know, you're from obviously the UK, but another hugely successful person in New York healthcare is uh, Michael Dowling of Northwell Health, who came from Ireland. So I, I like the, the, uh, the similarities of two uh, powerful leaders in the healthcare industry. Yeah, two, uh, two Celtic background leaders. So I'm from Scotland. He's from Ireland. Uh, he was actually my boss for several years at that uh, Care Connect. And we're actually, we were speaking at a, 
an AI conference Northwell sponsored actually only a, only a couple of weeks ago. So he and I remain very close. And, you know, it, I think it's, it's kind of fascinating to think that both of us have experience with other healthcare industries, other systems, right? Mm-hmm. For me, the national health system in the UK and for Michael, the health system in Ireland. And both of us come, one runs the largest provider system in New York. I run the largest health insurance system in New York. And I have to say, I think that has shaped who we are as people, right? Mm. The, the knowledge of how that other system has operated, and quite frankly, it's false, compared to what I personally think is an incredible healthcare industry in, in America, albeit not perfect. But let's face it, nothing is perfect. Sure. But it gives us a tremendous opportunity to work together. And and I think Michael and I have a special bond when it comes not just to our experience and background, but in our belief that we can make a difference here. You know, people want to complain sometimes about healthcare, but if you're going to have surgery, it's almost always that people will come to not just the United States, but to New York. Exactly. You know, it's listen, I have what I think are horror stories from the National Health Service, you know, single payer, some people call it. And at the end of the day, I can go into detail with them if you want. But the moral of the story is it is not better. Far from it. There's a reason mm-hmm. why people come here. But again, we have a lot to work to do to make it equitable and to make sure people have access. It is an expensive healthcare system, but sometimes you get what you pay for as well. Yeah. Well, something else besides the red hair we might have in common is the reading of uh, leadership books. You know, I actually yeah. love to read biographies of leaders and people that are entrepreneurs that have started businesses. So what are some of your favorite books on leadership that you could share? I'm a bit of a crazy reader. I usually move to audiobooks now. Mm. And the reason is I can listen to audiobooks at two, two and a half times the speed that I would normally read a book. So I can mm. get through books in no time. And the reason why I do it before I name any books is, you know, I'm a big believer that you know, we can go to college, we can get educated, we can learn on the job. But ultimately, we learn through other people's experiences, right? A good leader is really a study of human behaviorism, right? If I don't show up to work today, this company will continue. But if the folk who are on our front lines or answering calls who are who are doing our medical management and our clinical insights don't show up, we suddenly stop. So it's really my job to help give them purpose and reason. And that comes through seeing other people's, I guess, experiences. And the best network you could possibly have for that is books, Mm. right? Because we have an incredible world where leaders have often put down their experiences in books. Um, And so that's why I'm such an avid reader of it, both the good and the bad, right? There's, There's equally good bad lessons out there as there are good lessons. And so a couple of books that really stand out for me, one is Delivering Happiness, by the late mm-hmm. Tony Shea. Actually, that, that was a leadership epiphany for me. Um, I've had a few in my life. That was one where I realized that running or creating a company is not about money or about you know just simply having a product. It has to have a greater purpose. And for Tony, it was making people happy. As I started Care Connect, I wanted to simplify healthcare in this country. And as I came to Empire, I knew I had a platform to actually make a difference in people's lives. And so for me, that's a great example of how a book can translate a leader into something greater than what they are. I also spend a lot of time reading military books. I think there's a a tremendous knowledge base and methodology that our military leaders have experienced that is imminently transferable into the corporate world. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why 
some of our military has been so successful in studying and understanding that, as well as the working with veterans to help kind of translate it, just has so much practical application in our corporate world. Yeah, I love it. I actually read that book as well, Tony's book, as well as I'm in the middle of uh, reading the biography of uh, Ulysses Grant. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love these books. For me, I'm all about really corporate culture and about the ability for that culture to inspire people and to give them purpose. It's one thing to learn what to do. It's another thing to learn what you shouldn't be doing. Yes. Well, let's talk about, you know, COVID, because obviously it's it's been all of our in our lives the last couple of years and still top of mind for, for most people. What, would, what impact did the pandemic have on, on the health insurance industry in particular? It's a, a very broad question. I think that there's multiple phases of really what happened. And, you know, I do it not just from the health insurance perspective, but also from, you know, being the leader of a company perspective. So there was two, I think, main focal points back in March of 2020, right, as it really began in New York City. The very first thing was the safety of our members, right? Mm -hmm. What can we begin to do immediately to start educating and providing some sort of security blanket to our members? And by the way, beyond any New Yorker who happened to be hospitalized or thinking about hospitalization. So we actually rapidly set up a way of interacting with our company so that we could get information to people. And we actually created a COVID discharge planning system where if somebody was being discharged post-COVID, they were being discharged into isolation. And so how would they get through that isolation, whether it was food or social Mm -hmm. support or even sending people iPads, either in the hospital or, or afterwards, so they can communicate with loved ones and let them know what was happening. So for us, that communication was first and foremost, as well as supporting, obviously, our providers and our hospitals as they were going through that just onslaught. The second one for us was our employees, right? At the end of the day, we can't help any of our members unless our employees felt secure. We made a decision. We were probably one of the first companies in New York City to actually shut down our offices right at the beginning of March and move everyone virtual. We started thinking about that in early February. And the reason was, you know, at the end of the day, I had a feeling that something material would happen with shutting down the city. And so we began planning for it. And in actual fact, within 48 hours of closing the office, every single one of our employees was up and running virtually, had all the capabilities, both physical and software necessary. And we had almost zero blip in our operations. That allowed us to actually work with our politicians, with the governor, with the mayor, in order to say, what can we do to help during this situation? So that's what it really looked like in the beginning. Obviously, as a company, we tried our best to adapt. You know, there was a a lot of people who ended up getting COVID early on, and then you had all the different spikes. And so, quite frankly, it's been a roller coaster and I think proves, at least for me, the agility of leadership and the agility of someone's culture within an organization that you can adapt through this time period. In actual fact, Empire won several best places to work back to back in the years of COVID. That just shows the power of that culture and I think the dedication to our mission. What were some of the things that you did to maintain the culture of the staff while they were working remotely or at home? Yeah, so we actually became incredibly prescriptive. And so we we had a very strong physical culture 
here in New York City and some and then up in Albany and some of our other locations. And we really kind of created this be open, you know, walk around the office, you know, interact, be loud because you have to be loud and you have to interact in order to solve some of the healthcare challenges we have. That became incredibly difficult when you went virtual, right? Because you didn't have that random interaction. So we became incredibly prescriptive. We created these, in essence, town halls every two weeks. They really were more like morning coffee shows where myself and other leaders ended up kind of just talking and being able to share what was happening within the company, inviting guests in who could share their stories, having employees come on the show and being able to, you know, in essence, share the empathy and the sympathy of what everyone was going through. We also created a virtual team site, an MS team site, where employees could begin sharing and interacting in a virtual way, trying to recreate some of that randomness. And lastly, we scheduled coffee breaks. So all of our leaders every week, sometimes several times a week, would have a coffee break with staff that they would normally just randomly walk into during you know, a normal day. It actually created a more powerful culture. Because I think some people felt they had greater access yeah. than they did in a physical environment. Yeah, no, very interesting. I mean, technology has allowed for a lot of this. And I'd love to hear your thoughts in terms of technology and healthcare around innovations. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of telehealth is now being utilized. So, you know, how are you seeing technology changing the healthcare landscape? Yeah, this is, uh, this is a subject that I'm actually incredibly passionate about. You know, if I look at under other industries, I think other industries have really thought end to end on the consumer journey and the actual experience of a patient in their world. Maybe it's somebody dealing with the financial system or with Zappos or, or anything else. And I think in healthcare, we, we have not done as great a job of that. Sometimes it's because of regulation or law, um, which is designed to protect the consumer, but is not necessarily thought about the new digital world we're in it. From my perspective, I think the, the most important short-term thing that we can do to revolutionize healthcare is the ability to give our physicians, our doctors, all of the information about their patient at point of care. Mm -hmm. And what do I mean by that? Well, Joshua, you could go to an emergency room last week. You could have surgery three weeks ago. Uh, you may have had oral surgery. Uh, you may be on certain medica medications. Your physician likely doesn't know all of the components of your healthcare journey unless you specifically request records and give them to. Mm -hmm. And even then, maybe not completely up to the minute. So you may have had orthopedic surgery a couple of weeks ago. Maybe you're on an opioid painkiller. Then you have dental surgery two, three weeks later. Guess what? Your dentist prescribes painkillers, maybe they're opioids. That can create a significant problem for you as yep. an individual. But if we had the ability to completely intertwine that data, so your dentist, your orthopedic surgeon, your primary care physician all had complete access to your data, we can actually now start saying we can create a treatment plan. We can look at all of the different things that impact you as an individual, and we can start making a difference. That sounds I think, like good public policy, good sure. clinical policy. And yet we haven't actually connected all of those dots. Mm -hmm. So today the insurance companies 
aren't completely interact and have the interoperability with hospitals or physicians to share that data back and forth. Your insurance company tends to be that central kind of component that all these different inputs come into. Mm -hmm. So for me, Joshua, I think that's the next step. And then artificial intelligence, machine learning, all of these newer kind of opportunities out there can use the foundation of accurate data in order to start improving the care and the outcomes. You know, all of your healthcare background information, doctors, vids, et cetera, seems, you know, almost common sense to put it all in one place. What, what's the obstacle to that? Yeah, I think there, there's a number of obstacles out there. I think, number one, there, there is no central repository that is required by statute right mm-hmm. now. And I also think, to a large extent, there's fear, mm-hmm. right? Fear with the, the unknown of what will insurance companies do with this data, right? Will they turn around and increase the cost of healthcare because somebody is sicker? Well, we're not allowed to do that, nor would we want to, because the Affordable Care Act actually prevents that type of individual rating. But that's an educational barrier. Will physicians or hospitals say, well, if we give this access, our insurance company is going to go and deny the care? Well, again, that's not something insurance companies are interested in, because we want to make sure the right care at the right time is provided. Not only is that good for the health of New Yorkers, it prevents catastrophic care in the long run, which is far more costly and more impactful to the individual. But these are fears um, and real concerns that the different constituents have. And so a big part of my job really is to go out and ask people to take a leap, right? Take a leap of faith that we actually have the right intentions here. And we're willing to put protections in place, regardless of who is concerned. And I also think to some extent, there's a responsibility over government officials to understand the absolute need behind this and mm-hmm. to make sure, you know, statute, law, regulation supports this type of requirement here in New York. I mean, listen, our banks have plenty of information on us. <laughs> yeah, long, yeah, listen, they know how much data. Different stock, you know, you know, 10 different <laughs> bank accounts, right? Exactly. Exactly. We're a lot more flexible with our financial information than we are with our health information. And yeah, I've got two wearables on. Wow. Whether it's Apple or Whoop. They know a lot more about me than probably right. my physician does. Right. We let Google know everything we're doing, where we are, when go. we are. It's true. Exactly. Very right. true. So let, let's talk a little bit about personal health care. I hear that you have a, a solid workout routine. How does that help you? And, and how do you advocate, you know, living a healthy lifestyle? Yeah. You know, for me, it's uh, not only do I really enjoy working out. It also gives me a lot of time to reflect. I am definitely one of the the crazy folk whose alarm goes off at 4 (laughs) a.m. And I get up and I'm working out for anywhere between two and three hours a morning. Wow. Um, And it's my time, right? So as a leader of a large company, as a husband, as a father of three incredible children, there's not a lot of time in my day or my weekends. And so being able to do that type of workout regime in the morning allows me to think and it really does clear my mind and, and give me time. And I do all sorts of crazy workouts. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm an amateur boxer. Nice. I, like to, I like to do all sorts of things with, you know, give me a tire and a sledgehammer and the tire will be upset with me afterwards. But, <laughs> you know, why do I do it all? Num- number one, it's, it really does allow me to think. And I'm a big believer that a leader should be spending at least 50% of their time thinking because 
you have great leaders that you've created. You have incredible people who are passionate about doing their jobs. Let them do their jobs. You know, if we're going to solve some of these big healthcare problems, these big industry problems, we need time to think. And for me, that's where I get my thinking time. And, you know, at the end of the day, I, I also love to challenge myself. I, I mm-hmm. love to see me breaking my personal limits. And, you know, and there's an element of the shadow I cast. I do think that my workout routine has an influence on those around me, whether it's friends, family, coworkers, or right now my 14-year-old son who's, who's decided that he wants to be a crazy workout enthusiast. Too. <laughs> there so, you go. Solves a lot of problems. Right. Well, it's really been a pleasure speaking, getting to know a little bit more about you and, of course, uh, Empire Blue Cross Blue Shield. So thank you so much. You're, you're so welcome. And, and again, thank you. Thank you for the time today and the time to be able to share the story. I hope, if anything, it inspires others and, and together we can make a real difference in people's lives. I love it. Well, that's what we're here to do. Tell stories. And if anyone wants to listen to this podcast, along with any of our other podcasts, visit podcast.schnepsmedia.com or, of course, stream us online through all the major podcast networks.